0: I'm Daisy and I'm Terry, and this is the Monday Monday Mindset Podcast Podcast, where we share things of interest to us and hopefully to you. So
1: let's get started with episode number 103.
0: And this week it's Daisy's turn to share a chapter that she has chosen from Atlas of the Heart by Brene Brown.
1: More Brene. Can you ever have enough Brene Brown? Well, Terry, I've skipped ahead a few chapters. We are on Chapter 7, Places We Go With Others. And this is all about, well, as usual, she sort of lists some emotions that she's going to cover. And in this chapter, she is talking about compassion, pity, empathy, sympathy, boundaries and comparative suffering. And the main focus is how we connect with people who are struggling. That's basically what the chapter is about. And really the focus is looking at, I guess, the difference between and where they come into play, compassion and empathy and which is the best response to use when we're trying to connect with people who are struggling? Or do we need to use both maybe in different situations? What is the best way to connect with and help somebody who is struggling without taking on their issues as your own? And she talks about how the words have got a little bit hijacked and the meanings messed around with and she obviously gets a little bit annoyed about that. Um, She calls herself a populist. She talks about how we actually use language matters as much as the definitions that don't center all the time, real lived experience. But she says compassion is a daily practice and empathy is a skill set that is a powerful tool of compassion. And she says that the most effective approach to meaningful connection is a combination of compassion and a specific type of empathy, cognitive empathy. So digging in a little bit to compassion, as I said before, it's a daily practice of recognizing and accepting our shared humanity. Shared humanity seems to be the key phrase so that we treat ourselves and others with loving kindness and we take action in the face of suffering. And action is another big word here. She says compassion includes action. It's not just feeling, but doing. And we are fueled by understanding and accepting that we all struggle. And this comes back to this shared humanity. So action and Shared humanity seems to be key concepts here in cultivating compassion we draw from the wholeness of our experience so that's you know that's everything quote unquote good and bad and she quotes a Buddhist nun and I forgot to write the name down Hamas children oh yes that sounds familiar <laughs> and she says part of what she says anyway she she does quote a lot more, but compassion is not a relationship between healer and wounded, but between equals. I thought that was interesting. I thought that was a a good summation. And Brene talks about how she uh, dramatically changed her parenting approach to sit with her children uh, when they came to her with problems rather than try to fix them. We'll talk a little bit more about that later on. But she's definitely um, her go-to is to try and fix problems. And another point of compassion is our ability to be able to move towards others in pain without trying to solve it. Then she goes on to pity. And when she talks about pity, she brings up another phrase that she says comes back a lot more later in the book and that is a near enemy so she describes pity as being the near enemy of compassion and Kristen Neff defines near enemy as uh, apparently it's a Buddhist concept which is a state of mind that appears similar to the desired state but actually undermines it. And then Brene talks uh, briefly about the difference between far enemies, which are very clear. They're a clear opposite. So a far enemy to compassion would be cruelty, for example. But near enemies are often a bigger threat because they're much more tricky to recognize. So whereas compassion is open and shared, pity tends to look down on and focuses on difference separation, distance from the suffering of others that is affirming and gratifying to the self. So pity feels as a recipient, you tend to feel very isolated. And she says there are four elements to pity. The belief that the suffering person is inferior. It's a passive self-focused reaction that does not include providing help. So there's that, that main point of action with compassion is lacking when it comes to pity. A desire to maintain emotional distance and then an avoidance of sharing in the other person's suffering. And then she goes on to empathy. She talks a lot about empathy, which I'm sure is no great surprise, and defines Empathy as reflecting back and understanding and the shared humanity of compassion. And she talks a little bit about what research has discovered about empathy. But basically, there are all sorts of benefits, both uh, within yourself, but your relationships with others and the greater good of humanity. Basically, if uh, you can get good at practicing empathy, all sorts of good things happen. And she said that there are two main elements to empathy, cognitive empathy and affective empathy, and that's affective empathy. The cognitive empathy, which if you remember, we mentioned at the beginning that that's what she thinks is the perfect combination for Connecting with others is this cognitive empathy with compassion. But cognitive empathy is the ability to recognize and understand another person's emotions. Affective empathy is one's own emotional attunement with another person's experience. It's just that the problem with affective empathy is it's all too easy to become overwhelmed yourself by those emotions and not be able to offer that
0: meaningful support that you're trying to give. I loved reading this part of the book because I remember when I was a therapist in private practice, people would always say to me, oh, I could never do what you do because I couldn't sit with people when they're struggling or Mm. suffering. How do you Mm. not go home with all of this heaviness on you? And- I didn't have these words to describe it, but that's the difference. I think what I was doing is I was having cognitive empathy. I can relate to feeling hurt, sad, rejected, but I wasn't in the feeling at the time. So I didn't carry all of those painful feelings home with me each time. Mm. And I think for anyone thinking about how they relate with other people, it's a little bit more challenging when you're kind of getting stuck in the affective empathy, because then you're experiencing it and you're feeling it and you're kind of in it with them versus I can totally relate to how painful that is or how defeating that feels without actually having to feel it at that time. So it gave me words to something that I used to try to explain to people. So I loved this part of this chapter.
1: I can also imagine that being problematic if you are going through the same experience with other people Mm -hmm. you know I can think of uh, for example grieving for a loved one you could have a family unit all going through that experience all from slightly different perspective partner father mother daughter whatever it is it's different and it's overwhelming and the challenges of trying to provide support mm. when you're overwhelmed by it yourself you can't always just choose mm-hmm. which state you're in um, but she, she goes back to this, this combination of compassion and cognitive empathy that it's about understanding what somebody is feeling and not feeling it for them and that we can reach back into our own experience so that we can understand and connect. But we we don't have to, to feel this empathy and compassion. We don't have to feel or
0: experience the same thing. Which I think is so important when I think of therapists, coaches, helpers. Mm. Oftentimes people will say, well... Do I need to go to work with someone who has experienced what I'm experiencing? Mm. So as a therapist, if I've not experienced sexual trauma, can I work with clients who have experienced sexual trauma? Do you have to have the experience to be able to have compassion and skill and be able to connect with them around those experiences? And I think the answer is no, you don't have to have that. There are times when having gone through an experience may help you have empathy and better understanding. But I think this is important even from kind of the consumer of support perspective. Mm. The person I'm sharing this with does not have to have had this exact experience to be able to have compassion and empathy with me.
1: I also think it's very important if you're in the caregiver role I think it's something that you need some help and training with. I can remember um, my mother was in a sort of guidance counsellor, dyslexic. Um, She was the the person who helped dyslexic students at the university. But they would quite often, you know, use her as a bit of a counsellor as well. But she didn't have the formal training and she often felt that overloaded. I, I feel like it's something... It's a skill you probably, okay, some people might naturally have it, but it's a skill you need to learn how to develop. Mm -hmm. And I can imagine, actually, that's why a lot of people who are in caregiving roles, who aren't necessarily meant to be counsellors, who end up being counsellors in some way, aren't able to have that distance and get overwhelmed and burnt out themselves i can i can see quite easily how that can happen when she mm. you know she so eloquently defines um, all these these distinctions and then she goes on a bit more to talk about empathy and in defining it what is it and she draws from the research of Teresa Wiseman and then also Kristen Neff adds on the fifth component. The first four come from Teresa Wiseman and they are perspective taking, staying out of judgment, recognizing emotion, communicating, understanding about the emotion. And then the fifth one, which comes from Kristen Neff, is mindfulness this is about not pushing away emotion because it's uncomfortable. And we talked about how empathy is a tool of compassion. We have to be willing to be present with someone's pain. Without doing that, it's not possible to have true empathy. And then she goes on to another one of these near enemies And that is sympathy. Sympathy is the near enemy of empathy. But sympathy is a form of disconnection rather than connection. It's, I feel sorry for you. That must be terrible. And I must admit, as I was listening to this one, I thought, gosh, this is a really easy one to slip into. Mm -hmm. And I know I've used not necessarily that exact phrase, but ones that basically are the same thing. And it's all about standing at a safe distance rather than conveying the me too of empathy. It is the not me, but I do feel sorry for you. (laughs) And sympathy, she says, can even be a trigger for shame, which is the next chapter. Um, researchers. She, she talks about how researchers have found cancer patients who are on the receiving end of sympathy um, described it as an unwanted, superficial, pity-based response that, although well-intended, is focused on the observer's discomfort rather than alleviating the patient's distress. And sympathy and pity, unsurprisingly, are close relatives. They are both really saying, we feel bad from you from way over here, where the misery you're feeling isn't happening. So it's just this distance, this breaking of connection. And so we go back to empathy and a really interesting part. And this is one of the things where I have struggled a lot trying to figure out, you know, what's the difference between compassion and empathy and what you just touched on about, can you truly be empathetic unless you've experienced what the other person has experienced? I can remember really getting my head in knots, you know, diving into some of the issues around racism and things. Can I even try and be empathetic if I can't experience this? You know, it all gets very difficult and complicated. And she says empathy is, she wanted to dispel one of the biggest myths that uh, surrounds empathy. Empathy is not walking in somebody else's shoes. Rather, she says, directly quoting her here, rather than walking in your shoes, I need to learn to listen to the story you tell me about what it's like in your shoes and believe you, even when it doesn't match my experience. And when you try and put yourself in their place, rather than try to understand the situation from your perspective, the empathetic connection starts to unravel. Either, she says, you get sucked into the vortex of your own emotional difficulties. (laughs) That sounds familiar. Or because your experience doesn't match theirs, you doubt what they're telling you. And then, of course, you know, presumably that's going to come across in the language you use. So how can you be empathic with someone when you have not had their experience? And she says that empathy is not relating to an experience. It's connecting to what somebody is feeling about an experience. We can all tap into the basic range of emotions. She says when she's talking to her students, she says, you know, well, have you experienced joy, sadness, frustration, anger, all these things? You know, they put their hands up. Well, then, you know, you're qualified to be empathetic. You will have experienced all of the basic range of emotions. So you can find the connection that way. Connect to your own experiences in a thinking way that creates emotional resonance. So it's like saying, you know, oh, yeah, I know that feeling. I'm not going to fall into it right now, but I can communicate with you in a way that makes you know you're not alone. She heads towards the end of the chapter, but with some what she calls empathy near misses. And she says, chances are you will probably have experienced all of these either being on the receiving end or having done them yourself to other people. So the first one already covered is um, sympathy. I feel so sorry for you versus I get it. I feel it with you. I've been there. Sympathy creates distance Number two, judgment. That's an obvious one, really. You know, you should feel shame about what you're telling me. But quite often you feel the shame yourself. And uh, she describes, you know, the person that you're offloading to sort of gasps and confirms how horrified you should be by what you've done. Not helpful, basically. Uh, Number three, disappointment that, you know, that look Yeah, you've really let me down. Uh, Number four, discharging discomfort with blame. This is quite an easy one, I think, to fall into. This is terrible. Who can we blame? You know, so that the person you're Talking to feels shame. She said, "You know, shame." She says, "Shame is is very, very contagious, and we almost always just want to get rid of it. So that might be by putting shame on the person who's talking to you, or trying to blame somebody else. But um, basically, you're you're dismissing. You're trying to dismiss. You're trying to push away." what the person is telling you and the emotions that's evoking. So it's, again, it's breaking this connection. Uh, number five, let's just make this go away. Uh, minimize and avoid. And this is quite an easy one as well, I think, to fall into by, you know, saying things, you know, but but you're amazing. That can't be true. They're wrong, whatever. But again, you're not sitting with what the person's telling you. You're just trying to push it away. And number six, comparing and competing. Um, and this gets into the, the whole, um, you know, suffering comparison or one upping of misery, as she calls it. I don't think that needs um, any further explanation. Number seven, speaking truth to power. This was an interesting one. This is basically saying you should have kept your head down and your mouth shut. And this quite often happens when you're holding somebody accountable and it ends up causing conflict and you're telling somebody else, you're relating this experience to somebody else. And instead of saying something like, gosh, you know, that took some courage. That must have been hard, you know, good for you. It's, it's really hard often to stand up for what you believe in. You know, instead of going down that track, you say something like, wow, you said that, you know, you caused all that conflict. You'd have been better off keeping quiet, things like that. So that's um, speaking truth to power. And the last one, advice giving and problem solving very common one. And she uh, she puts her hand up to this. She's you know, she's a problem solver. She always wants to try and fix things. And the important thing here is just to listen and sit with someone in their emotion rather than trying to fix it. And then she does go on to talk about boundaries. I won't go into detail. We are running out of time, but I encourage you to go and listen to what she has said, and I think she's probably going to revisit boundaries later on. In fact, I'm sure she will. But basically, she says, you know, we really do need them to be empathetic and compassionate ourselves. We need to know where we end, where somebody else begins. One of her phrases is to be clear is to be kind and unclear is unkind. And she describes some of her own experience and she feels that she's much more authentic now she has clearer boundaries. She quotes somebody called Prentice Hemphill, who says boundaries are the distance at which I can love you and me simultaneously. And lastly, comparative suffering. That uh, doesn't need much explanation. It's the whole that the one that came to my mind was, you know, how can you complain about your life when there are starving children in Africa? And she says, you know, these these people who are cited they, they don't benefit if you conserve all your concern only for them um, because they are more worthy. Again, it's just another way of dismissing the person who's in front of you. She said, you know, perspectives important, but not to the point of dismissing the pain of somebody else. So I've I've raced through it a bit. And, you know, like I mentioned, as we went through there, there are definitely things that I've worked on and got better at, But certainly when she talks about some of those empathy near misses, I know there are things that I still do, particularly. I think this near enemy of sympathy, like I say, you know, some phrases that she uses sounded awfully familiar. And I just think it's quite difficult sometimes to know what to say to people. You don't want to stumble into some of these categories where you feel like you might be hijacking their experience by bringing your own experience in. But I think sometimes the natural inclination is to try and think of a similar experience because you want to build that connection. And I think there was something that I thought was in this chapter, but it wasn't. I think maybe it, It must be in in the next chapter, Um, but it's she spoke about quite often when somebody's speaking to you in this way that what they really want is to be heard and that's the value that you can give is to listen. And I think one of the things that comes out of it for me is I feel that the value you can give with being empathetic is to hold a caring space for somebody and just listen to what they have got to say try to connect with the emotions without feeling like you've got to find some kind of direct relevant experience to compare it's difficult what do you what do you say when somebody posts on Facebook that something awful has happened. It's very difficult not to be sympathetic rather than empathetic. I I think there are all Mm -hmm. sorts of thorny issues here that I'm certainly still working on trying to get better at.
0: The other big thing that this chapter reminded me of, because she mentions Kristen Neff, and Kristen Neff is the author of one of my favorite books, Self-Compassion, is that learning these skills and Doing these in our connections with others is so important. And some of us almost have an easier time having compassion for others than having compassion for ourselves. Mm -hmm. And so also being able to turn these skills around inwardly and to have compassion to recognize that when we are struggling, we are, you know, we're human. Of course we're going to struggle. What we're struggling with is a normal thing to struggle with. Other people struggle with this too. So we're not faulty or broken or you know something's wrong with us because we're struggling so for me it just reinforced the underlying importance of self-compassion as well
1: yes and I think that was well that was one of the big takeaways with compassion wasn't it was this shared humanity was this just this absolute acceptance and understanding that yes that we do all struggle so just I, I guess even just tapping into the fact that you've struggled at some point is a way to connect. Mm -hmm. I think I certainly, one of the problems I run into is just kind of overthinking it.
0: (laughs) And learning to trust yourself that when you have good intent, yeah, we're going to make mistakes. We're not always going to say things the best way, but we can circle back and repair it.
1: So another very interesting chapter from Brene. As always, <laughs> we'll be back next time. As always, yes, we'll be back next time. I'm I'm excited to
0: find out which chapter. And you're I going may to delve even into. go backwards in the book a little bit and do something between chapters yes, two to might, seven. Yes, you might because I skipped forwards. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody, have a great week, and we'll be back soon. Have a great week.